Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. All right. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter number six. And you know, it's funny when you when you preach week after week after week after a while, the messages begin to pile up and there's just a whole lot of messages that have been preached. Well, there's a few that give us such a an insight or a key into living for God that they're important to come back to from time to time. And so today is. Uh, one of those services, and I'm going to be preaching um, to us on a familiar topic, and that is the armor of God. Sometimes we, we designate that as a Sunday school lesson, but folks, as adults, we still need the armor of God. We need to be armored up, probably more so than adults. I hope they get it in their hearts and minds now, um, but we have to have it as well. So Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And I'm going to read all the way through uh, verses 10 through 17. It says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore." having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul is no doubtably picturing a Roman soldier as he describes these elements of armor, a sight that would have been common to the people of his day. And he's writing about this and he's using these things as a parallel to instruct us about some spiritual armor that we have access to. He lets us know we're not fighting flesh and blood. He's not telling us to go out and look for a, a giant brass breastplate that we can put on every day. I hope you don't show up tomorrow at, at your workplace with a sword. You, you might lose your job. You know, we, he's not talking about physical attributes of armor. He's talking about spiritual things that he's paralleling or using this, this imagery to communicate to the people. The decision 
that you make to live for God will be assaulted. I've talked about this before. I make reference to it a lot of times. When you're living for yourself or you're wrapped up and you're living in sin, the devil doesn't have much reason to attack you. He already has you where he wants you to be. He's not out to get you when you're already walking down a path that's leading you to eternal damnation alongside of him. Now what happens is sometimes we come to God and we make a decision. That's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for Jesus. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm, I'm going to start walking down a right path. And that makes him very angry. Because he does not want you to have a good relationship with God. So we have this image in our head that sometimes it doesn't play out the way we want it to. Because we think we're going to come and we're going to repent. And then from that day forward, life is going to be so easy and there's going to be no trials and no troubles. And, and that's not the way it works. Sometimes your first few months, your, your first season of living for God can be the most difficult. Because now you have an adversary. As to where before, you, he was not your adversary. He wasn't out for you, but he didn't have to spend a lot of attention trying to distract you or, or destroy you. But now you make a decision to live for God and that decision will be assaulted. The scripture used the term, the wiles of the enemy. He's tricky. He comes at you from different angles. He's, it, other places in scripture, it talks about the schemes of the enemy, uh, the strategies of Satan. He's not a, a rash individual. You know, the devil's been at this game of leading people to hell for a long time. He's learned some tricks along the way. He's got some, some very sneaky strategies. Our battle is against this kind of a spiritual attack. The prize on the line is much greater than, than our flesh. You know, if you go into a physical battle, there could be some damage done to your flesh. Um, that, that's just the way it goes. However, we're battling a battle of the soul. And so if we're not properly uh, guarded, if we don't have on this right attire, our soul becomes vulnerable to the attacks of our enemy. So this is incredibly important. In fact, the writer says in the beginning of our text, he says, I want you to put on the whole armor of God that you will be able to stand, which implies to me that without this, my chances of standing firm in my faith are drastically decreased. He said, you need this armor so that you're going to be able to stand against the attacks that come your way. So we're going to go one by one and we're going to examine these things. (coughs) First, we're instructed to put on the belt of truth. It's not like a thin little belt like I'm wearing today, but it would have been more of an apron, a a large belt that would cover the soldier's lower stomach, their reproductive organs, and their upper legs. The truth was an important part of the soldier's attire, this belt that he wore. The first piece of armor that God instructs us to put on is that of truth. Truth. Contrary to the pervasive message of our day, there is a such thing as absolute truth. Truth. That, that word, it, it just flies in the face of everything that's going on in our society now. People want to paint truth as something that is progressive. 
So what was true before might not be true anymore because we've evolved as people. No, truth is truth. Truth stands the test of time. Truth does not change. Truth is not circumstantial. You say, well, is it wrong to, to steal? Yes. Okay, but is it wrong to steal if, if you're doing it and you're stealing from the rich and giving to the poor? Yes. It's still wrong. To, the circumstances do not have an impact on whether or not a principle of God is true. Truth stands. This Bible is truth. The words that are written in, in this, the Word of God is true. The Scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar. So if every nation under the sun gathers their voices together and speaks contrary to the words that are found in this book, this is still true. This, the validity of Scripture comes under attack um, from time to time and it's amazing that it just it, it stays true. It stands the course of time. How many people throughout history have set out to prove the Bible wrong and yet they come and they go and they breathe their last breath and the Bible continues to remain true. This is not the, the work of man. This is the Word of God. And He used men to pen it. When you consider the, the detail of Scripture, there's, there's over 60, well, there's 66 books here. They're written over a time span of about 1,500 years by approximately 40 different authors and they cover some of the most controversial topics even of our day now. And yet there's no contradiction within Scripture. If we took a poll in this room, we, we could pick out one controversial topic and, and take a poll of every person in this room. There's a great chance of some sort of contradiction. And that's only a handful of us living in the same time period with similar experiences in life. And yet we don't see things the same way. That's because they were not writing down a collection of their opinions. Moses didn't say, well, I want people to know what I'm going to think years from now. So I think I'll jot down. No, it's, it's not the, the journal of men. Scripture says that all Scripture was given by inspiration of God. That holy men of old wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. This is the Word of God. It's truth. And truth matters. We have to stand firmly, firmly wrapped up in a place and a position that allows God to back us up. So this belt of truth, this spiritual belt of truth is vital. Because when I stand according to God's word, then I put myself in a position where he will back me. Because he's going to back up his word. The next thing that we're instructed to put on is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this was a large piece of armor that would guard both the heart and the lungs from attack. Many of the vital or organs of the body was protected by the soldier's breastplate. Scripture tells us that we are to guard our heart because out of it comes the issues of life. You know, the world says, follow your heart. God says, guard your heart. In fact, following your heart can get you in trouble. There's another place in Scripture, and it just comes to me as I'm speaking now, so I don't have the reference, but it says that your heart can be exceedingly wicked. So there's a chance that following my heart is not the right choice. Sometimes if I just follow the whims of my heart, it will lead me into trouble. 
But if I'm intentional about what I allow into my heart, if I have on a breastplate of righteousness, then I'm, I'm protecting that, that area of my life. <clears throat> it's vital that we filter and choose carefully the things that we allow to take root in our heart because once they're there, they're very hard to remove. Yeah. It's hard to get something out of your heart. One could even come to a mental acknowledgement that there's an issue and struggle to remove it. Once we become emotionally attached to something, we can receive the knowledge that it's, it's unhealthy for us and still struggle to let it go because we've allowed it to take root in our heart. And the scripture says that the issues of life arise out of the heart. The single piece of armor also covered another vital organ, and that was the lungs. It's the lungs that give us the ability to speak. And the scripture tells us that there is a direct connection between our heart and the things that come out of our mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good indicator of the condition of my heart is what is coming out of my mouth. So say, man, how, how effective am I at putting on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, can I label the things that are leaving my mouth as righteous things? Is what I'm speaking um, conducive with righteousness? Because if the things that are coming out of my mouth are connected to unrighteousness, then there's probably something going on in my heart that's not right. I need to, to go back and purify my heart and make sure I have on this, this breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness will help us to guard our heart and our speech from wickedness, deceitfulness, and divisiveness. It, it protects us. He goes from there and jumps down to our feet and says that our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel. So our feet are to be wrapped up in the preparation of of the message of Jesus. It's difficult for Satan to attack if our goings are grounded in a plan to share the story of Jesus. As the old adage goes, the best defense is a strong offense. We are stronger in our faith when our eyes are fixed on his sacrifice. You know, most of the time, if we're thinking about the cross, if we're thinking about all that Jesus has done for us, it's very difficult in that moment for the enemy to convince us or, or to tempt us with sin. Because I'm, I'm looking at, I'm focusing on the right thing. We're never more dangerous to the enemy than when our eyes are fixed on the sacrifice of Jesus and our feet are pointed toward the loss. Our feet are shod with the preparation of of the gospel. The Apostle Paul, as the writer of this passage, would have been familiar with the sight of these Roman soldiers' boots, their armor. He would have seen the boots and been familiar with the aggressive spikes that were protruding out of the bottom. They wore basically like cleats. And these cleats were important because when they when they took a stand on the battlefield, they wanted to make sure that they were they were firmly planted and the enemy could not force them to give up ground. It wasn't like smooth church shoes like I have on right now. 
They were, they were grippy. They were hard. And in some cases, they could be used in hand-to-hand battle. They could be converted into a, a weapon. They were, they were like cleats. It was these spikes that would give the Roman soldiers an advantage of traction when the enemy would press against their defenses. Just as when our enemy surges and launches a full frontal attack, it's our firm footing on the gospel that will enable us to maintain our ground and continue moving forward. Life is not um, compartmentalized enough to where we just face one thing at a time. A lot of times we have both victory and defeat happening in our life simultaneously. We have blessings and and we have things that it seems like God is allowing us to go through that, that we don't understand at the same time. And it's important that we have, number one, a firm understanding of the gospel. We know what Jesus did for us. We know the fact that we've been washed clean. We know that we've been saved. Because some mornings I wake up. And if I was just going off of emotion, it feels like God has forsaken me. It feels like I don't even know. Am I saved today? No, I I know. I have a firm understanding of the gospel. My feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. So my feelings come and go and I'm blessed and I'm I'm not cursed, but feel like I'm cursed sometimes. And I I go through trials and tribulations and, and mountaintop experiences. And it doesn't matter what I'm going through in life if I'm grounded in the gospel, I can maintain my footing. I don't have to lose progress in my walk with God every time something hard comes along. Because I know even on my worst day, I'm still saved. I'm still going to go to heaven. I'm, I'm still making forward progress. It's important for us to remember... In this whole idea of our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel and our command to reach the lost, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Sometimes the enemies that come our way are facilitated through other people in our life. And we feel like they're the ones causing us all the trouble. But the scripture tells us to pray for our enemies. So we're not putting on all of this armor so that we can destroy that person in our life that's been coming against us. Our battle is not with them. There is a spiritual force driving that battle against us. So we need to stand firm in our faith and also be praying for those that are being used as instruments of our enemy. We're told to take up the shield of faith. This instrument of armor has a very specific role according to our text. It's our faith that can put out the flaming arrows of the wicked. Darts or arrows that are shot from a distance. From that range, the enemy can only send an arrow in our direction in hopes that damage will be done. If you've ever seen a video of of battles from this era, it's terrifying. You've got the infantrymen that are are marching forward and way out in the distance. They they can't even get to those people yet. There's a line of archers that are just, they're not even really aiming at anyone specific. They're just aiming in such a a direction that the arrow is going to land somewhere among the opposing army. 
And there's arrows that are just raining out of the sky. I can't even begin to fathom being in that type of situation. But spiritually, there are attacks that the enemy will just launch into the, the area of our life, the area of our church, the area of our family, and say, I, I hope I hit one of them. I'm just going to keep sending arrows. Satan has a skilled set of archers and they consistently shoot arrows of worry and stress and doubt and disunity and self-consciousness and deception. And, and they're not really aimed at anybody. But man, if I could just get a little bit of disunity into the church. And he just keeps shooting that arrow over and over again, hoping that it's going to land in the heart of somebody. And it's important for us to have this shield of faith so that we can extinguish or block out these fiery darts that are sent our way. <clears throat> these darts are set aflame with the unknown. It's amazing how our mind can run away when, when something is unknown. We like to know how things are going to turn out. And Satan will capitalize on a, a situation that's going on at work or a hardship that's taking place in our home. And he begins to shoot darts of anxiety and worry and oh what about this and and what about that and i bet you this is probably going to happen and this is it's going to work out like that and, and it's all doom and gloom and it's just dark after dark after dark that's coming our way and we have to have a faith that says no i've got a god who's going to help me i've got a god who's going to come through for me i don't understand how it's going to work out i don't see the answers but i'm, I'm going to trust in faith Rather than allow my imagination to be carried away with all of these what ifs and, and oh no's and oh me and oh my. No, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in God. It's faith. Scripture talks about us walking by faith and not by sight. Well, that's what it looks like. Sometimes if, if we allow our, our eyes to scan the horizon of our circumstances, it doesn't look good. And yet God's saying, just, just keep going. And you say, well, I don't know if I want to because it, it doesn't look good. But faith says, if, if God led me there, then that's where I'm supposed to be. Faith says, just keep going. We have a shield of faith that can guard us from the, the unknown. Faith also works in the unknown. Sometimes what we need to do is use that shield of faith to flip what if on its head. Not what if everything goes wrong. What if God shows up? What if, what if this works out for my good? What if I reach that coworker? What if this makes our family stronger? What, 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 if, what is it going to look like when we come through this? What if we get better? What if we get closer to God? What if this turns into a blessing? Begin to exercise the shield of faith rather than adopting the worrisome darts of the enemy. Again, looking at the use of the Roman armor that Paul was familiar with, we learned that the shield was most effective when it was used in unison with others. So when all of those darts were launched out into the army, it wasn't one man with a shield, but they were well trained. And when the arrows were incoming, they would group together and lift their shields in unison, creating a wall protecting one another. Our faith operates the same way. Our words to one another should be encouraging and uplifting. They should promote faith. This is why I don't like it when, when we gather together and, and with people in the church, not just our church, but any church, and the conversation is all about how bad the world is and, and politics are upside down. And, and What are we doing? We're, we're allowing these darts to just permeate and, and press through our defenses 
into where we live. Rather than saying, you know what, God's got this. I don't understand why it is like it is, but, but it's going to be all right. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for the people that are surrounding us. Let's pray about that. Let, let's seek God. And like a group of soldiers bound together with shields lifted high, our faith begins to grow because we're sharpening each other. We're building one another up in unison. We're told to put on the helmet of salvation. Now, to me, the helmet is one of the most obvious articles of armor for any soldier that's going to be involved in hand-to-hand combat. I don't understand these people. There are still people that, for fun, dress up in metal armor and, and attack each other with medieval weapons. And that's a form of entertainment for me. I have no desire to have anybody swinging any of those things at me. No, I'm not interested. But if I was ever in that situation... I would surely want a helmet, a really, really good helmet. In any setting where your attacker would love to take your head off, it only makes sense to protect your melon. A blow to the head can do immediate damage to the brain, thus causing every other system in your body to fail and shut down. Head trauma is a bad thing. Your enemy is not ignorant of that fact. He would love the opportunity to attack your mind. Your mind is the first place. Think about this with me for a minute. Your mind is the first place that every temptation will be experienced. Every temptation that we, we come against, we first experience in our minds. Our eyes see something that is tempting and, and it's related to the brain and the possibility of that temptation coming to pass happens in the mind first. We process everything in the mind. What an advantage it is to be able to stop it there and never allow it to come to the point of sin. That's what the helmet of salvation does. It, it protects my mind, my brain. It guards me. When wearing the helmet of salvation, every thought that enters my mind has to first pass through my salvation. We don't think about things like that. Sometimes we just don't take the time to process it like that. But when opportunities, air quotes, when any kind, even things that don't immediately seem simple, when things are presented to me, to do or to say or, or to places to go or any activity that comes, any action. What if we processed it through the, the filter of how will this affect my salvation? See, there's a false doctrine in our day that says salvation is unconditional. And that if you say a prayer and, and tell Jesus that, that you want him in your heart, then you're just saved. It don't matter. From that day forward, you go out and do whatever you want to do. You're going to heaven. That's not in the book. So back to the the belt of truth. That's not in here. In fact, we read about people in this book that had very personal relationships with Jesus and experienced salvation and at the end of their life were not right with God. 
Salvation is not unconditional. It's not something that we just get and we can't ever lose. So if I'm being presented with things, I need to process them through this helmet of salvation that says, how is this action? How is this plan? How are these words? How are these people that I have an opportunity to connect myself to going to impact my salvation? Because there's nothing more valuable to me on this planet than my soul being right with God. We process things sometimes. We leave the helmet of salvation at home and we process it as how fun will that be? How much immediate gratification will I receive from partaking in this action? How much money will it make me? How popular will I become? Rather than how is this going to impact my soul? What are the implications of this opportunity on my eternal destination? That's the helmet of salvation. Finally, we come to the sword of the Spirit. While a few other pieces of armor can be used in an offensive way, maybe the shield, maybe the boots at times, the sword is the only item listed that is primarily offensive. I'm glad we get at least one weapon. I wouldn't want to go into battle, even with the best of the best armor, with no way to fight back. <clears throat> I want to have some way to engage the enemy in a, in a way that gets him off my back and causes him to think twice about coming after me. We've discussed many ways to defend the attacks that come our way, but how do we counter the attack? Well, the text tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So we don't have to speculate or wonder what the sword of the Spirit is. It tells us right in the Scripture that the sword is the Word of God. Hebrews 4 and 12, using the same analogy, says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a dangerously sharp sword. We see Jesus as our ultimate example using the sword of the Spirit when He is tempted in the wilderness. Three times He's tempted of Satan, and three times He responds with the phrase, It is written. It is written. He doesn't call him mean names. He doesn't yell and scream. He doesn't put the devil in a headlock. He says, it is written. It is written. It is written. And every single time he quotes scripture, the enemy is defeated. And Jesus comes out victorious. We have the same power. However, a sword can only be used to the ability of the user. Right? Anybody here extremely skillful with a sword? No? So if I gave you a sword and sent you into battle, even though that sword can be extremely sharp, it's only going to be as effective as you are with it. Your skill level with the sword determines its effectiveness. In fact, the lower my skill level with the sword, familiarity with the weapon that's been placed in my hand, the more dangerous it becomes to me. I'm going to end up cutting my leg off or, or putting it in the wrong place and, and injuring myself. A lot of people try to, 
to sling the sword of the Spirit around, the Word of God, and they're not familiar enough with it. And what happens is they pull Scriptures out of context and they begin to use the Word of God in ways that it's not meant to be used and they create within their own spirit a sense of false security because they're wrongly applying the Word of God to situations that it doesn't belong in. And the sword, this weapon, this thing that we've been used to uh, be an advantage to us becomes a danger to us. We don't think about the Word of God as dangerous very often, but, but it can be dangerous. If I'm taking the promises of God and the things concerning salvation out of context and just grabbing promises and, and grabbing things about eternal destination without considering the stipulations that are put on those, then I am doing more harm to myself than good. The greatest, I believe, this is my opinion, the greatest weapon of the enemy is not sin, it's false doctrine. It's people that are filling pews of churches throughout our world on this Sunday that feel really, really good about the things that are leading them to hell. False doctrine. The Word of God that's being misused and mishandled and misrepresented. We have to take the time to train ourselves in the Word. We need to be competent users of the Scripture. That's why Sunday church isn't enough. This message is it's not enough to equip you to make it through to next Sunday and you get a little bit more Scripture and a little bit more. No, if you're unfamiliar, if you don't know how to understand, there needs to be Bible studies taking place. And the more you spend time reading God's Word, the more familiar you become with it, then, then you're going to get good at it. We learn how to, as Paul tells Timothy, rightly divide the Word of Truth. We learn how to effectively use the Scripture. Some people, they operate, you know, like, what's my Scripture for the day? And they just open it up and, and point. Well, you know, there's a Scripture that tells us Judas went and hanged himself. Right? And then the next day you open it up and there's another place in Scripture that says, go and do thou likewise. Well, that's not good biblical advice. The Bible's not telling you to go hang yourself. But if I'm not careful... With the sword, it can hurt me. However, if I take the time to, to learn God's Word and understand what I'm reading and know who's writing this Scripture and who are they writing it to and what message are they trying to get across and what are the, the stipulations that are put on God's promise in, in this passage. You know, many times when we read about God's promises, it's if you will, then I will. And it, we can't just take what He will if we're not willing to do what He said we're supposed to do. It's the sword. But when I am familiar with this, it's an incredible weapon against the attacks of the enemy. When the enemy comes against me, I can begin to, to yield the sword of the Spirit and quote the Scripture and call upon the things of God and it will get me out of trouble. When yielded properly, the Word of God is the greatest Offensive asset of every single believer. Every believer. So we're instructed to put on the whole armor of God. So that we're able to stand against the attacks of our enemy. So I want to close the service out a little bit differently. If we could stand. <coughs> Stand.
We're just going to pray together as we get ready to dismiss the service. And this is not a repeat after me. I, I never pray repeat after me prayers. Okay? But there is a practice of praying the armor of God unto ourselves. And it's a practice that we can use on a daily basis, on a regular basis. We can ask God to help us. And so as we pray together, you can use your own words, but we need to pray through this and learn how to pray through this so that we can apply these principles to our life. So we're just going to pray together. You pray with me. First thing we're going to do is I'm going to give you the opportunity to repent. Because it's hard for me to put on the armor of God if I already have something in the place where it's supposed to go. I can't put on the breastplate of righteousness if I already have on a garment of unrighteousness. So we're going to start there and then we're just going to walk uh, article by article through the scripture that we've read today and, and pray it over our lives. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. God, we come before you humbly asking you to search our hearts and our minds Cleanse us from any unrighteousness. Lord, if there's any sin, if there's any compromise and disobedience that's existing in my life that would keep me from putting on the things you've instructed me to today, I pray that you would forgive me. I ask you to open my eyes to it if I'm not aware. I ask you to give me the strength to walk away from it, to cleanse myself from it, Jesus. I need you to help me there. We repent before you first and foremost. Lord, as we do that, then we begin to gird ourselves with the armor that you instructed us to wear. I pray that you would help us to have on the belt of truth, that we would know your word and learn your word. No matter what society says, no matter what popular opinion is, help there to be a, a healthy awareness of what your word says. Give us the ability to discern opinions and thoughts and things that are spoken around us so that we know what is true and what is not. Help us to, to live with that belt of truth. Lord, we pray over our hearts. We pray that you would guard our hearts and our lungs and our vital areas of our spiritual life with this breastplate of righteousness. The world would try to paint righteousness as a negative thing, like goody two-shoes or as if we're trying to be better than others. God, we're really just trying to be right in your eyes. We want to live righteously, and I pray that you would help us to filter the things that we allow access to our heart through this filter of righteousness. We pray, Lord, that you would help our feet to be shod with the preparation of the gospel, that we would constantly be aware of what you've done for us, no matter the circumstances of our life, that that would give us firm footing when the attacks of the enemy come, that we know we're right with you. We know that you've done a work in our life. We know that we can rest assured in your promises and call upon the things that you've spoken over our lives. Help us, Lord, to be willing to carry that gospel to those that are lost and hurting and in need of a Savior. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pick up the shield of faith. No doubt in battle, that shield at times feels heavy and cumbersome. It's hard to carry, but Lord, it's important. It's vital to us being able to guard against the fiery darts of the enemy. Help us to use that shield of faith to turn what ifs into a positive thing as we look at our circumstances through your word, through your promises, and through the fact that we know you are with us in every battle. Teach us to, to carry that shield properly. Help us, Lord, to wear the helmet of salvation, to guard our thoughts, to weigh each decision 
according to eternal ramifications. Help us to keep a level head in intense times of life. Not to give way to the spirit of fear, but to continue in power and love and of a sound mind. Believe, Lord, that that's a benefit of the helmet of salvation. Lord, make us to be skilled in your word so that we could properly yield the the sword of the spirit. I pray that you would give me a great understanding. No matter how long I, I search and study your scripture, I don't want to be content with the level of knowledge that I had yesterday or today. But Lord, I know it's deeper than that. There are still things that I could learn and skills that I could pick up. I want to be knowledgeable about your word. Allow me to keep a, a teachable spirit concerning your word. Teach me to use it within my family and within my church and within the workplace or the, the school that I'm in, the people that I'm around. It should not be a damaging thing, but Lord, it should be uh, an offensive weapon in spiritual matters. And Lord, let your kingdom grow as a result of these things. Let it grow in our hearts and in our minds and our families, our lives and Let it grow as it makes an impact on those around us. Teach us to wear the armor of God so that we're able to stand against the attacks of our enemy. We need you to help us to be mindful of these things day in and day out. And we pray your protection over us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey folks, Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live, and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.